Please pray with me. Father, we are thankful that you continue to gather and bind us together as a body of believers, as we just witnessed with our newest members joining. As we prepare for the Missions Festival next week, give us eyes to see your handiwork throughout all of your creation. Grant safe travels to the missionaries and bless us with a time of great fellowship, encouragement, discernment, determination, and joy. You have created each of us in your image and know us inside and out. It is you who knows what is best for us and how we are most fulfilled. May we joyfully seek out and embrace the opportunities you are providing for us to serve in your kingdom. Out of the great abundance you have showered upon us, may we love you and our neighbor well. Father, what a blessing it is for us to bring our burdens and requests to you in prayer. Bless our former senior pastor, Bill Hay, and his wife, Cindy. Give them peace and comfort and a deep sense of your presence with them. We pray for a swift and complete recovery for Mike Stanley after his hip surgery. Bless missionaries Jeremy and Angel Martin as they share the gospel and work to grow mercy ministries within the church and community while serving with Surge in London. What incredible work you are doing, Father, through your faithful, gifted, and humble servants, Robbie, Dan, Henry, Marty, John, Dave, and Josh. Bless their efforts. Give them strength and courage and wisdom. Bless their marriages, wives, and children. Give them deep and restorative rest. Help our congregation love, support, and encourage them. Now be with Robbie as he teaches. Give us ears to hear and hearts to embrace what he has to share this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you believe the privilege? Our church, one church, we're giving $250,000 to one group of church planters because they want to keep growing their church, plant lots of churches in Tegucigalpa and bring the Presbyterian church to Honduras. They want to establish the Presbyterian denomination there and do all these things Henry mentioned. I can't wait to spend more time with Aaron Halbert. You get to meet him next weekend at our missions festival. That's going to be great. The people, the, the leader of the group we're given a quarter of a million dollars with. What if you sat down with Aaron and interviewed him last week, next week, and he's told you, uh, man, we're so excited. Thank you for this great gift from Covenant Presbyterian Church. We're planning churches. We're going to tell, we're going to tell everyone in Hond- in Tegucigalpa, in Honduras, and throughout Central America, we're going to tell everyone that Jesus is the true king. We're like, oh, yes, good, good, good. And Jesus is the real priest. He is the savior. You only have eternal life by believing in him. We're like, yes, yes, yes. And then Aaron said, but you know, Jesus taught a lot of stuff and they're kind of hard to follow. So we're not going to teach that part. How would you feel about that? What if he said, you know, we're going to promote that Jesus is the king and we're going to promote that he's the savior, the priest who died in the place of sinners, but we're just going to kind of tune that, tone down some of his teachings because, you know, he said things like love your enemies, pray for those who mistreat you. We don't think that's going to sell very well in Tegucigalpa, so we're not going to talk about that part. How would you feel? How encouraged would you be? Well, I want you to know I'd be deeply discouraged if that was their strategy. 
to pick and choose the parts of Jesus and the Bible that they wanted to talk about. No, 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 that's not the kind of partners we want. A few weeks ago, one of our members took me to lunch and told me an amazing story about someone who was learning about things that Jesus said. There was a guy named Doug who was a Christian in Washington, D.C. who discipled people all the time. And one time he met a guy named Bob, a very powerful lawyer named Bob who had global clients. Uh, He once uh, ran the federal insurance agency, traveled all around the world, very big, impressive lawyer. And uh, Bob was kind of interested in Jesus and maybe becoming a new believer. And Doug was meeting with Bob and, and, and Doug said to Bob, you know, really you need to get to know Jesus. And so he encouraged him to read one of the gospels, just read through it. And then they'd get together and they'd meet and talk again. And so Bob said, I guess so. And so he decided he'd read Matthew's gospel. He began to read through Matthew's gospel. And he got to the place in Matthew's gospel where Jesus said, if you have the faith, even the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and the mountain will move. And Bob couldn't believe that. So he went back to Doug and said, hey, you don't really believe that uh, prayer, that faith and prayer can move mountains, do you? And Doug was too wise to answer or debate that question. So here's what he said. He said, well, Bob, why don't you take 40 days? Pick one thing to pray about, and then let's meet again and see how it goes. Bob said, I guess so. And so uh, he decided on that spot that he would pray for Africa. Now, let me tell you, people, that's a very lame prayer. It's not very specific. Um, It's just way too general, praying for Africa. I mean, was he even trying? So he he decided he would do it, and he started praying for Africa. Shortly thereafter, uh, he went to an event in D.C., and he met a woman, uh, and he started talking to her, and he said, hey, what do you do for a living? And she said, well, I run an orphanage in Africa. Uh Uh-oh. Turns out that it was an orphanage in Uganda. And she said to him, this uh, international lawyer, uh, do you travel very much? He said, well, I do. And she said, well, why don't you come over to our orphanage in Uganda and uh, come and and visit us and see what we're up to. And maybe you can help. And he said, well, I guess so. And so he went to Germany on one of his normal trips. Then he tacked on a little visit to Africa. He went to Uganda and he went and visited the orphanage. Well, the kids took a liking to him immediately. They just loved him. And he warmed up to them and they had a great time. And when he came home, got back to DC, he decided he was going to send a big trailer, uh, a big container um, of toys and all kinds of supplies to the orphanage in Uganda. And he sent to them and it thrilled the children and it blessed the orphanage. And it was great. This big gift from lawyer Bob. And they were so excited. Well, the orphanage reached out to him within this 40 days and said, you know, Uh, This has been so encouraging to us. If you're traveling again, could you stop by again? We want to have a day where we just celebrate how kind and generous you've been to us, a special day in your honor. Bob said, well, I guess so. And so he, he, he went again a second time to the orphanage in Uganda. And while he was there and they were having a day in his honor, uh, someone called the orphanage for asking for Bob. And it was the president of Uganda, uh, president Yowiri Museveni. And the president had heard about his generosity and just wanted to thank him. And so the president of Uganda said, hey, will you, will you please come to my house today? I want to meet you and thank you personally for your generosity. And 
Paul said, I guess so. And so he went over uh, to the president's house and they were having a nice little short visit. And while they were visiting the president of Uganda, President Museveni took a phone call and they called the president and they said, you must come here immediately. There's this big uprising in our country and we need you to show up and, and put, put down this uprising. And so President Museveni turned to Bob and said, hey, I've got to go and handle this and manage this, but will you ride with me? And Bob said, I guess so. And so he rides with President Museveni to the uprising as they're getting near it he looks up on a hill and there's a cage a wired encampment and inside this cage are a ton of people crammed in there locked into an open air but locked in cage and bob turns to president musavini and says what is that what in the world is that and the president says though those are my enemies that's where we keep my enemies and bob who'd been reading the stories and the teaching of Jesus, blurts out, you can't do that. You can't treat your enemies like that. And then things got a little tense. <laughs> anyway, shortly thereafter, Bob gets back to DC and he gets a phone call. It's the US State Department. And they wanna know what in the world Bob's been up to in Uganda. <laughs> and here's why. They said, we have been trying to get those people set free for years, but nothing happened. What did you do? So Bob lost the bet. Uh, he, he, he and Doug actually had made a bet and he had to pay up. Does God move mountains through prayer? Can we trust Jesus, the teacher, who teaches us these things? I guess so. Today, our passage is just Mark 10, verse 1. Look at it. It's on the bottom of page 14 on your worship guide. I'm going to read it by itself first, and then we'll pray, and then we'll read a little bit more. The very bottom of page 14, or in your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, verse 1. And he, Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how thankful we are to be in your holy presence. Father, you pointed to Jesus and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the eternal word of God who came in our flesh. Teach us to listen to you. Oh, Holy Spirit, grant us hearts that are receptive today so that we might not only hear our Savior, but that our very lives would be redirected again and again by his life, by his grace, by his power, and by his very words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you will pull out your worship guide on page 14, I want you just to see with me real quickly that Jesus as a teacher is a unique theme. Not, sorry, not unique. It's a, it's a main theme in Mark's gospel. It's not unique to Mark's gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John all make a big deal about Jesus as a teacher. Here's how Mark does it in chapter 1, verse 21. And immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 
And they were all amazed that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. From the fourth chapter, and again he began to teach by the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the land on the sea. And he was teaching them many things in parables, parables about the kingdom of God. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow the message of the kingdom of God. From chapter six, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Chapter eight, and Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Chapter nine, they went on from there and passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him, which brings us to today's passage. I'll read it again. And Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again and again as was his custom, he taught them. You see how emphatic it is. So our first point in our sermon today is simply this, that Jesus was a teacher. Don't miss the word again in verse one and don't miss the phrase as was his custom. Uh, We read not all, some of the verses in Mark's gospel prior to chapter 10, verse one, that emphasize that Jesus is a teacher, that he was a teacher, that he, he walked around teaching people about the kingdom of God. He taught them in all kinds of parables. The kingdom has already arrived, though it doesn't look the way you thought it would look. The kingdom is growing in all kinds of ways, though you can't always tell that one day the king is coming back. And when the king comes back, the kingdom is going to be fully the way you expect it to be just better than you can think or imagine. Jesus taught this in all kinds of parables. He taught about the kingdom all the time. Jesus talked about prayer quite a bit. Jesus taught about how to love your neighbor and how to love your enemy, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus was teaching all the time. Matthew and Mark emphasize more of the content of Jesus' teaching. You get some of it, sorry, Matthew and Luke, you get some of it in Mark as well. But all of those gospels and John's as well emphasize again and again and again that Jesus was a teacher, customarily teaching the people of God. Let me ask you. How central a role does Jesus have in your life as a teacher? Is he in your top five? Jesus must be our primary teacher. Jesus must be our primary teacher. In our tradition, we've seen from the scriptures that Jesus is the king that God's people were waiting for. He's the true Messiah, the true king. And not just the king, he's the king who, like a priest, gave up his life on the cross like a sacrifice. Jesus is the true king and Jesus is the true priest. He's the only mediator between God and men. But there's another thing we've noticed 
from the Bible in our tradition is that Jesus is the great and final prophet, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. And did Jesus come to bring God's kingdom? Absolutely. That's actually the good news in the Bible. And here's great news. The only way to get into the kingdom is by putting your faith in Jesus who offered himself in the place of the wicked. So the good news is the arrival of the kingdom. The great news is how you get in through faith in Jesus Christ. Those are, those are both really important, but there's a third thing. The same Jesus who is the true king and who offered himself, a priest offering himself as a sacrifice, he's also the great and final prophet, the teacher of God's people, the main one we are to hear. Jesus was a teacher customarily, and he had things he customarily taught them. That's my first point. Secondly, I want you to see that, Je- that teaching Jesus ways his commands is a central aspect of the commission that he gave his apostles and through his apostles, his church. So just for a minute, I'm gonna read the great commission to you again. And I'm gonna highlight the most neglected line of the great commission because next week's our missions festival. I can't wait. I hope you're gonna come next week to the missions festival. Chris Wright's a friend, but he's a fantastic scholar. But I hope you, I hope you come and bring your friends and we need lots of you to come and bring your friends. So as a family, please don't come in four cars, maybe, maybe carpool in one or two, okay? Uh, but we want lots of you to come and want you to bring your friends to our missions festival next weekend. So I'm thinking about the Great Commission and this aspect of Jesus being a teacher. Here's the Great Commission. Here's the royal aspect of it. Jesus came and said to them, he had his apostles after his death and resurrection on a mountain in Galilee. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is a royal declaration. I am the true king. I'm ruling over all things. All things in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And then he says, go making disciples of all nations. So uh, if you go to a missions festival uh, at other church this week, you'll probably hear the great commission and you hear a lot of language about going. And that's a really good and faithful thing to say about God's people. We're going and sending one another to our neighbors and the nations all the time to make Jesus known. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father of, and the, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. People need to hear the gospel, believe in Jesus and be brought into the family. And when they, those who didn't know Jesus come to know Jesus, we baptize them. And we tell them that baptism signifies that they're now the people of God. Their their sins are washed away because Jesus died for them. And that's great. And here's the next line of the Great Commission. Jesus says, here's part of it, teaching them to observe, obey, keep, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Central to the Great Commission from Jesus is that those who know him, his disciples, are sent to their neighbors and the nations to teach our neighbors and the nations all that Jesus has commanded us. So real quickly, write down your seven favorite teachings of Jesus. Go ahead. I mean, Jesus, Jesus gave us over 70 commands and taught hundreds of things. Just quickly write down your, your favorite, your top 5%. Teaching his ways, his commands is a central aspect of the commission that he gave us. Well, your pastors and a few of your elders recently had a great privilege on Tuesday. We went to Presbytery. It's basically a big cocktail party. It's really a lot of fun. Um, I hope you don't believe that. Uh, it's not the most exciting uh, quarterly event that we do, 
uh, but important things happen. And uh, this, this past week on Tuesday at our sister church, Altina Valley Presbyterian Church, um, I got to meet uh, Sasha, who uh, a Russian Christian leading the Moscow Evangelical Seminary in the middle of Moscow. And he handed out his testimony. I've got one up here and you can steal mine if you want to later. And he, so we read his testimony that day. Here's, here's how it goes. Uh, Sasha's parents were atheists. They never talked about God. They never referenced the Bible his entire life. He was an atheist his whole life. He uh, joined the communist party and because he wanted to be elevated as a worker, uh, he joined the KGB and his life was on a really good path if you're a communist atheist in Russia. KGB agent. He had a wonderful, beautiful wife, Natasha, and a, a wonderful, special daughter, Julia, and everything was going great as far as uh, he was concerned in the box that he thought was so important, being a communist, an atheist, working for the KGB. But then a missionary family moved in uh, not far from their family. And first of all, his daughter, Julia, began to pray with the, ch the child of the missionary family and they became buddies. Uh-oh. And then they engaged his wife, Natasha, to teach them Russians. They would be more uh, effective Russian speakers as missionaries there. Uh-oh. And so uh, what's a KGB agent gonna do when your daughter's playing with the missionary kid's uh, daughter and when your wife is there is teaching them Russians, they can be more effective as missionaries. So he decided to do what he ought to do. He went to go, to go spy on them. That's exactly what he did. He went and spied on all those missionaries and the people hanging around them, including his wife and his daughter. And he was blown away by their humanitarian aid. They were just so generous to everybody. And he was blown away by their joy. They had so much joy. They clearly loved each other and they loved God. And just the joy was bubbling over. And he's like, I, I, there's something going on here. And eventually he went on a retreat with the church, kind of as a spy. But on that retreat, he decided to pray. And when he prayed, he had a vision. And when he had a vision, he met Jesus and he became a believer. And he comes home from that retreat and he goes, goes straight home. And when he gets uh, home, his wife, Natasha, meets him at the door and she says, Sasha, what's wrong with you? And he says, what's wrong with me, honey? And she says, you're smiling. And his own testimony, he said, I had never smiled before. But the joy he had now was irrepressible. So he came in the door, closed the door and the jig was up. He told her, I met Jesus, I've become a Christian. And of course she got teary and told him that she had become a Christian too. She'd just been too afraid to tell her KGB husband. Why does this happen? Because Jesus is converting people all across the globe in the darkest and most hopeless places. Uh, they were in Russia for 70 years. Uh, 200,000 Christian leaders had been put to death. 500,000 Christians had been locked away in prison. 99% of all the buildings that Christians once owned had been completely taken away, uh, burned down or, or turned for new, use, new uses. It was a terrible place. But Jesus converted this family and now he re leads this seminary. Now, what if Sasha were here? He was, he was uh, with my friend from Trustful just a few days ago. What if he were here Sunday and he 
came and told us, hey, uh, it, at Moscow Evangelical Seminary, I'm telling, we're telling everybody that believe that Jesus is the true king, the long-promised king. And he's the savior of the world. He's the true priest. He's the only midair between God and men. But in Moscow, it's too hard to obey his teachings. So we're keeping his teachings about loving your neighbors and loving your enemies on the down low. We're just kind of not really going to teach that part. What would you say? So finally, my final point is this. We can't teach others what we haven't learned. And we can't teach people to observe commands that we won't keep. The grace of God is bigger and better than we've understood. By the grace of God, our old record that stood against us has been nailed to Jesus Christ and it no longer counts against us. By the grace of God, his record of perfect obedience now counts for us who believe in him. We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, we get to hear the teaching of the Savior who died and rose again for us. And we get to be changed and transformed into people who love his ways. This too is the grace of God. God saves us by his grace and makes us his people by his grace. And he shapes us into the family he intends for us to be all by his grace. So just for a minute, as Chrissy told me I should do this week, I'm going to make it a little more concrete. Let's talk about some of the commandments, some of the teachings of Jesus. Now, you know, you could, there's some great summaries of them. If you want to sort of have a brush up on your teaching, on your understanding of the commandments and teachings of Jesus. There's a Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I commend it to you. There's the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6 where the content's very similar. And some people are like, ha ha, you can't trust the Bible. Was it the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain? Well, Jesus taught these things again and again, as was his custom. Yes, he taught it on the mountain, and yes, he taught it on the plain, and yes, he taught them in the cities, and yes, he taught it on the countryside. He taught it in boats, and he taught it all around, everywhere he went. And because he was a good teacher, he taught the same things over and over again. So here's some summary from Luke 6. Jesus said, I say to you who hear, are your ears open? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Luke 6, that was verse 27 and 28. In verse 35, Jesus repeats himself, but love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. See, Jesus is saying, the Father is adopting you and making you his own children, and he's transforming us into the children he's rescued us to be. Love your enemies. We know his teachings are hard. It's, it's, it's hard to love your spouse sometimes. Last week, I had that awful beard. Christy was like, please shave it. It's hard to love your friends. It's hard to love our neighbors. It's impossible to love our enemies. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. If we seek to obey Jesus, we'll be reminded how dependent we are 
upon his promised grace because only he can make sinners like us people who love our spouses, love our neighbors, love our friends, and love our enemies. Does Jesus really expect us to love our enemies, bless people who want our harm, forgive people who wrong us, serve people who mistreat us, forgive and be generous to people who wish us harm? Well, related to the Armenian genocide just over 100 years ago, you remember the Turkish country and Turkish army was greatly mistreating the people of Armenia. Some were in uh, what's now the country of Turkey is some in Armenia, but they were severely uh, mistreating them, killed over a million people, a real genocide. Uh, During that time, there was a Turkish officer uh, who led some soldiers to one house in particular, a house where an elderly couple lived with all daughters. The captain of the army went in and immediately shot the two elderly parents. And then because he had all the power, he gave the daughters to his soldiers, but he kept the oldest daughter for himself. He didn't treat her well. But eventually she escaped and she needed a living, so she trained as a nurse. And when she finished training as a nurse, she was assigned to go work in a ward for Turkish officers. And there one night, working a really long shift in the light of a lamp, she saw his face. The captain who had done her and her family so much harm. And he was gravely ill. There was little chance he would recover. Unless he got exceptional care, he would not make it. But the days and weeks rolled by and he who should have died lived. He recovered. And one day, uh, as he's in the early days of his recovery, like he has his wits back about him, uh, the doctor comes in to check on him, this amazing uh, recovery and the nurse walks in and the doctor says to the recovered Turkish officer, apart from her great care of you, you would be dead. And now he's recovered. Now he has his wits about him and he looks up and sees her and now he recognizes her and he says, we've met before, haven't we? And she said, yes, we've met. And he just had one question. Why didn't you kill me? And her answer was, I'm a follower of him who said, love your enemies. What a privilege it is to be the people of God. Here's a trap. It's a very familiar one. We're fixated on ourselves. We're fixated on how we've been wronged. We're fixated on what we don't have. We're fixated on what we want to have. We're fixated on what we look like. We're fixated on how we feel. We're fixated on ourselves. And it's exhausting. But the love of God has rescued us from self-fixation and freed us up 
to fixate on his grace and his goodness and his glory and by his grace and power to look out to our families, our friends, our neighbors, and our enemies and do the impossible apart from him. But in him, do that which he's called us to do that we might make him known. It's important that we remind each other of all the things that Jesus commanded so that we can grow in it and tell our neighbors and nations. The last thing that Matthew recorded that Jesus commanded is teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. But there's some really important commands Jesus gave his church through the apostles shortly before his death at the last meal that he had with them. These are also Jesus' commandments. Take and eat, take and drink. For we serve a king who has given his life for us and today gives himself for us, even at the table before us. Let's pray and meet him there. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given your life for us. To walk in your ways, to trust you, to live lives as children of the Father, we need not only your forgiveness, but your ongoing grace and power and strength. So we come to you today seeking your promised strength, grace, nourishment, love, mercy, kindness, and generosity as you offer yourself to us in the bread and in the cup. Help us come to you with faith, seeking you as you're promised. Amen.